This episode is brought to you by Odd Mo's Pizza in Canby. Handmade awesome pizza plus craft beer, wine, and cider delivered. Order today at 503-263-8444 or visit them online at oddmoes.com. This episode is also brought to you by Canby Foursquare Church. Since 1978, a place to grow, connect, and serve. Sunday services on campus and online at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Learn more at canbyfoursquare.com. Welcome to Now Hear This Candy, your source for news. The threat of a possible teacher strike was avoided this week. There's a new irresistibly cute creature winning over fans, and its name is Scootaloo. Sports? It's like Lucy in the football. You want to kick a field goal, but they take it away from you. We had to learn how to win. Goal can't be in the last second of the game! And interesting conversations. Because I'm one of the strongest girls ever, and I know that for a fact. (laughs) I just really enjoy writing gossip as if I was a bear. (laughs) With an old maid daughter that makes the best moonshine in the coast. (laughs) If it would have hit me in the face, I think I would have died. I really do. I guarantee you would have died, man. Are you kidding me? Welcome to Now Hear This Can Be Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Tyler Clausen, and this is what's happening this week in our community. A Molino teen has been ruled responsible in a November 2021 crash on South Molino Road, which claimed the life of 16-year-old Canby resident Matthew Dewar after four days of trial in Clackamas County Juvenile Court. Ryan Anthony Keller, 18, was found guilty by Clackamas County Judge Colleen F. Gilmartin on charges of second-degree manslaughter, criminally negligent homicide, and reckless driving. Keller turned 18 last July, but was not a minor on November 19, 2021, when he attempted to pass another vehicle on Molino Road near South Blundell Road and struck Dewar's Volkswagen sedan head-on in a no-passing zone. Dewar died at the scene, while his brothers, 12 and 10 at the time, sustained minor injuries. Keller, whose vehicle flipped onto its side following the collision, fractured several vertebrae and sustained other injuries. The collision occurred just before 7.30 a.m. Dewar and two of his younger brothers were on their way to Country Christian School in Malala. Keller was headed in the opposite direction, bound for Canby High School. Evidence from the airbag control module inside Keller's vehicle indicated he was driving at 75 miles per hour at the time of impact, and that he did not touch his brakes in the five seconds immediately preceding the crash. Traffic and collision experts at the trial estimated Dewar was traveling at about 36 miles per hour based on security camera footage of the incident. The speed limit in the area is 55 miles an hour. Though witnesses, including Keller himself, acknowledged that the weather conditions that morning called for lower speeds in accordance with Oregon's basic rule. Keller took stand Friday afternoon on the third day of trial. He maintained that he has no memory of the collision or of attempting to pass and, in police interviews following the incident and on the stand at trial, he expressed disbelief at his own actions that morning. I don't believe I would have tried to pass because I saw oncoming headlights. And I know that it's not a smart thing to do, Keller said during his cross-examination Friday by Deputy District Attorney Eric Burzin. Asked by Burzin's his reaction the first time he saw the video from the scene in which he clearly moves into the oncoming lane to initiate the pass before slamming into Dewar's car, Keller said... I could only describe it as shock. I couldn't believe the video showed what it showed. Keller had a spirited defense led by former state and federal prosecutor Amanda Marshall, now in private practice in Portland, who attempted to poke holes in the county's investigation and defend the reasonableness of her client's actions, given the conditions, setting, and behavior of the other drivers. 
In her lengthy closing statement Monday, she argued the state had failed to meet the high burden of proving her client's actions were reckless to the point of representing a gross deviation from the behavior of a reasonable person in the same situation. But Gil Martin disagreed, making much of the fact that Keller recalled seeing the oncoming headlights of Dewar's vehicle and recognized the danger, and that the defense's own expert had testified he felt there would had been enough time for Keller to slow down and re-enter his lane before the collision. This court finds that a reasonable person would have followed the rules of the road and the safe driving requirements of the Oregon Driver Manual, Gil Martin said at her bench ruling. I do find that Ryan Keller understood the risk of passing under those conditions, including the risk of a head-on collision that could cause a fatality. The risk was undeniable and there is no justification. Keller's disposition, the juvenile system's equivalent of sentencing, was set for May 11th. He has been confined to house arrest at his parents' home in Milano since the November 2021 incident. Under state law, Keller's maximum punishment would be committed to the custody of the Oregon Youth Authority until the age of 25. A new bipartisan bill has been proposed in the Oregon legislature that would put the brakes on the Department of Transportation's tolling plans for I-5 and I-205. If passed, the Oregon Department of Transportation would be barred from moving forward with its plans to establish tolls in the Abernathy and Tualatin River bridge areas of I-205 as early as next fall. In fact, the bill, Senate Bill 933, would prohibit the state from addressing any tolls on I-5 or I-205 with the exception of the I-5 bridge crossing the Columbia River, which both ODOT and the Washington Department of Transportation have been long discussing replacing. The bill would also force ODOT to conduct an analysis of all reasonable alternative funding sources for highway projects on the Abernathy, Tualatin River, and Boone Bridge and report its findings back to the legislature by December 1st. The bill's chief sponsors include Democratic Senator Mark Meek of Gladstone and Representatives Janelle Bynum of Happy Valley and Courtney Neron of Wilsonville, as well as Republican Senator Daniel Bonham and Representative James Heap, who represent Canby and the Oregon Senate and House. The bill has been referred to the Joint Committee on Transportation. You can find a link on our website at canbyfirst.com. The state is also seeking public input on its tolling plans via email and an ongoing environmental assessment on their potential project with webinars planned for March 14th and 16th and a virtual public hearing on April 4th. The tolling proposal would add gantries to both Abernathy and Tualatin River Bridge with the amount varying from 50 cents to $2.20 based on the time of day and other factors. The tolls would run electronically with sensors reading a small transponder attached to the windshield and bill a prepaid account. If a vehicle does not have a transponder, a camera will capture the car's license plate and the registered owner will receive an invoice in the mail. The Wild Hair Music Festival was an unforgettable experience for the sellout and near sellout crowds in attendance at last year's iteration at the Clackamas County Fairgrounds in Campbell. And organizers were validated when the event was named Music Festival of the Year and the Ovation Awards at the Oregon Festivals and Events Association Conference in Seaside last weekend. Reached this week, festival co-owner Jason Fellman said it all started with Joan Monin. 
his partner in not only the Wild Hair Music Festival, but also its older sister festival, the Hair Fest. He credited Monin for both the original idea for what was to be known then as the Wild Hair Country Festival and its focus on the red dirt genre of the country music. I've got to give it to Joan, he told Now Hear This Can Be. She came to me years ago and said, this is the genre we should be doing. And she was totally right. And to have such a magical festival last year, the first ever headlining event for Zach Bryan, it's just incredible. Fellman, who attended the conference last weekend along with Hairfest and Wild Hair Music Festival general manager Kyle Lang, admitted to being thunderstruck by the award. I was surprised because there are so many good festivals in Oregon, he said. And though ultimately it's not your goal when you produce a festival to win an award, it's cool to be recognized for something that we and a lot of people work really hard on. Though Hairfest, the so-called mother of all tribute band festivals, is barreling full steam ahead for its 11th edition at the Canby Fairgrounds this summer, the team did announce late last year that Wild Hair Music Festival will not be returning due to events outside of their control. Bellman said he could not go into detail. There was no falling out because anyone or anything like that, he said. The situation is just such that it makes it unrealistic for us to be successful, and we are certainly not giving up on the genre. But the Wild Hair Music Festival as it was, we can't do that right now. For now, the team is focused on Hairfest 11, which will return to the Clackamas County Fairgrounds on July 14th and 15th and the second iteration of Flannel Fest, a 90s-themed tribute band festival at the Grant County Fairgrounds in Moses Lake, Washington. Bellman said the team is actively exploring other markets and areas and expects to announce some major new events late 2024 or 2025. We're not dead yet, I'll leave it at that, he said with a laugh. We've got some really special things in the works. Tickets and information for Hairfest 11 are available online at hairfest.com. Valley Big Band will present its spring concert in Canby next month. Swingin' in Spring kicks off at 6.30 p.m. Thursday, April 13th at Camp United Methodist Church. A new staple for the Light Up the Night Christmas event in Waite Park and other local events over the past couple of years, the Canby-based Willamette Valley Big Band is a 17-piece ensemble of brass, woodwinds, and rhythm section, plus male and female vocalists. The band came together thanks in part to the efforts of Nate Clarazio, a musician and big band era enthusiast from Happy Valley who dreamed of putting together an ensemble and recapturing some of the post-World War II spirit of joy and enthusiasm in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. The group performs the best hits of 1930s, 40s, and 50s, including the repertoires of Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw, Glenn Miller, and the Dorsey Brothers. The band is directed by Dr. Jeffrey Nelson and features the talents of many musicians from Camby and other Clackamas County communities. Camby United Methodist Church is located at 1520 North Holly Street. Suggested donation for entry is $5. Cougar Country Hometown Sports Coverage is brought to you by Rife and Hunsaker PC. When you need an attorney, turn to the firm Canby as trusted for over 50 years. Call them today at 503-266-3456. For the latest sports news, follow us on Twitter at Cougar Country or and Instagram, Cougar Country Pod. 
The Canby Cougar dancers are rounding into top form at just the right time as the talented team of athletes prepares to strut their stuff at the OSAA Dance and Drill State Championships this week at the Salem Pavilion. The Cougs wrapped up their regular season at the Road to State competition at Westland High School Saturday, March 4th, winning first in both the traditional and show divisions and improving their team scores in both events. Senior Marissa Van Hose also finished in the top 10 in advanced drill down. The team is led by head coach Jen Chaffee, choreographer James Healy, and assistant coach Jenna Jernstorm. Thank you to our amazing prop parents, food parents, hair and makeup help, costume help, and the best cheer section ever, the team said on the Facebook post. We couldn't do what we love without your support. The Canby Cougars formed a dynasty of excellence in the 2010s as one of the most predominant high school dance teams in Oregon, winning five straight state titles in the show division from 2015 to 2019. The team was set to compete for an unprecedented sixth championships in 2020 when the tournament was canceled mere days before it was set to begin due to the COVID-19 pandemic. When the championships returned in 2022, Camby's title defense again ended in disappointment as a penalty bumped the Cougs into third place finish. The OSAA Dance and Drill State Championships will be held Friday and Saturday, March 17th and 18th at the Salem Pavilion. Camby's show and traditional performances are scheduled for Friday evening. Natural gas, uh, water lines out, the garage, extra bookshelves for my comic book collection. Hey, Tyler, house hunting, huh? Find one with everything you're looking for? I might have. This one has an ideal floor plan and all the utilities set up the way I want. It's perfect. Well, that's great. And the place has the internet service you need as well? Uh, the internet? I, I guess I didn't think to check that. Tyler, Tyler, Tyler. Internet is an important utility just like electricity and water. Before you decide on a home, it's always a good idea to make sure it has access to quality high-speed internet. Okay, but how do I do that? I don't have the time to call around to different providers and see what they offer. Hey, ain't nobody got time for that. All you need is the new Fiber Homes extension for Zillow. It's a simple plug-in for your internet browser that automatically tells you if any real estate listing has a fiber connection and who the provider is. That way, you know even before you schedule a walkthrough if the property supports super fast and reliable speeds. Okay, well that's pretty cool. So how do I get this browser extension thingy? Just visit directlink.coop slash fiberhomes. They have instructions for how to set it up. And the best part, any home in the Canby and Mount Angel areas with a fiber connection is gonna be served by Directlink. So not only do you have access to reliably fast gigabit speeds and amazing local service, but also unlimited data, no hidden fees, and advanced Wi-Fi equipment included with every package. Okay. Uh, oh, look, this one does have fiber. Sweet. Hey, I'll be invited to the housewarming party, right? As long as you bring a computer. If you or someone you know is searching for a new home in the area, visit directlink.coop slash fiberhomes to find results that have access to DirectLink's fast, reliable, and secure fiber optic network. All right. Well, we are excited to be welcoming back Martin Lackner. He is a uh, Marine veteran and uh, st still currently out, but outgoing uh, commander of the VFW post for Cambian Aurora 6057, is it? Yeah, that's yes. correct. Yeah. Um, so how are you, Martin? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Um, we just did, which I know is one of your most meaningful and favorite uh, events to lead in Canby, the Iojima Remembrance Ceremony, your 10th. I know you've been doing it 10 years. Correct. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. Um, let's talk just a little bit about that and what that was like. Well, you know, um, we made sure even during COVID that uh, it took place. And, and now that uh, we have so few, mm-hmm. you know, World War II veterans yeah. um, to to uh, honor. Yeah. Um, at this point, we've kind of changed the focus to um, trying to uh, not forget yeah. their sacrifice and, uh, you know, the world that uh, they represented, yeah. you know. Um you know, it's important to remember that without that generation, there's a reason they call them the greatest gener- mm-hmm. generation. If without that generation, we, uh, you know, we wouldn't have the freedoms. Yeah. And we we definitely wouldn't have had all the, uh, oh, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but, you know. Um, peace and stability. Well, yeah. 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 Yeah, and and you I mean, know, you look at before World War Two, and we even have, you know it was World War Two. We had a World War before that one, right? Um, but you look before, and you know there are still obviously places where there's lots of instability and things, but but um, especially in Europe and places. I mean, it was just wars constantly mm-hmm. before World mm-hmm. War Two, and we really enjoyed um, on balance mm-hmm. a, a global period of peace and stability, right? Um, Thanks to what happened there. Well, and, you know, their generation is responsible from everything, uh, you know. Uh, we didn't have single-family homes. We didn't have subdivisions, right. you know. We didn't have a car in every garage. Right. We, you know, so there's a lot of things that we see as a normal, modern-day yeah. American life yeah. that didn't exist mm-hmm. before that. And, yeah. and all of that comes from the World War II generation, yeah. you know, because yeah. before that, you know, I mean, you had multiple generations living in one house and, and, uh, and, you know, people, yeah. you know, if they had a car, you know, running water, that right. was something special. <laughs> right. so. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, JFK had this, uh, great quote that I think about a lot, especially on Memorial Day, that a nation reveals itself not only in the citizens it produces, which is obviously important, but also the citizens it remembers. Right. Um, you know, and I, and I, you said something, obviously not that quote or not uh, exactly those words, but um, you, you kind of said something like that just now. And, and I remember that um, at the ceremony as well, just how important it is to remember uh, that generation and, and really all who serve, they kind of represent the best of us. Right. Yeah. 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 It, um, I, I mean, everybody serves for different reasons and, yeah. uh, you know, some people, I mean, myself, uh, I was a high school kid getting in trouble. I want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Like, how did you get into the service? Um, you know, I I grew up uh, in Detroit, Michigan, in a mm-hmm. uh, single-parent family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's a rough neighborhood. It's yeah. a rough place to grow up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I started getting in trouble. Yeah. And... Um, you know, my choice is uh, not having money for college, not mm-hmm. being able to, to uh, you know, do anything, yeah. you know, beyond little, high school. A little limited. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, you know, I said, well, I've got to do something. Yeah. And uh, my father, my uncles were Marines, mm-hmm. and uh, my grandfather was World War II Navy. And, uh, Did your father serve in Vietnam? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, my my father was one of those Vietnam vets who, um, while he came back in body, mm. he never came back in yeah. his mind. Yeah. You know? Um, so, you know, he was he was gone by the time I was 12, mm. you know? Um, you knew him before Vietnam? No. Okay. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. But, uh, so I needed to... I needed to do something. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, the Marines obviously, uh, well, I, I dug the uniform. Who, yeah. who wouldn't? <laughs> um, and I knew if I could do that, yeah, I could do anything. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's what I did. You were a pilot. No, okay. air crew. Air crew, excuse me. Yeah. Okay. No, um, pilots are officers. Okay. And, uh, you know, you got to go to college for that. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Okay. No, I was actually, um, so I was air crew only during the Gulf War. Okay. So it was a... You were ground-based or were you in the planes? 
Um, no, I so I was an engineer. Okay. Um, with uh, Marine Wing Support Squadron. Gotcha. Um, and uh, what we did, yeah, was built runways, mm-hmm. and uh, we had built a, a, a portable runway just outside of Kafji, yeah. which is uh, was right on the uh, Kuwait Saudi Arabian border, mm. and uh, those runways were made of. Uh, like big aluminum Legos, literally. Yeah. You yeah. know, we just snapped them all together yeah. and made uh, landing pads and all that by hand or <clears throat> use heavy machinery. No, or? by hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're light aluminum corrugated yeah. pieces. Yeah. And um, so, what happened? Uh, we end up being attached to a couple of uh, helicopter squadrons that came in. So we had Cobras, uh, we had CH forty sixes, which mm-hmm. is like what Columbia Helicopter does. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we had CH-53s. Yeah. Um, the Navy calls them sea stallions. Yeah. But uh, great big three-engine, seven-blade monsters. So um, when the air war started, mm-hmm. um, they were shorthanded. And, uh, you know, once we had completed the task of of building the, the runways and, and the landing pads, um, some of us were tasked with training to be door gunners. Yeah. And so... Uh, um, that's, that's what became of me and, mm. and five other guys, uh, from my unit. Yeah. And so we flew, uh, we flew missions as door gunners into Kuwait and, and Northern Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's what makes me air crew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you talk about a little bit of what that was like? Um, <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I do remember Mostly, I'm sure a lot of people saw the videos and and, and TV, you yeah. know. Um, I didn't see the TV until many years later. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, when you saw all of the anti-aircraft mm-hmm. uh, guns, you know, in in Kuwait, um, you know, you see what's, a, what's called tracer round. Yeah. You know, it's that bright light that flashes up. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize it. Tracer rounds, on average, are every third, third or fourth round. Yeah. Uh, so there are several rounds in between those two lights, also mm. that you don't see. Yeah. Um, Terrifying. Yeah. So when yeah. you're flying toward that, yeah, I remember when I first saw it, I was thinking there is just no way I'm not going home. W- yeah. Yeah. There's no way we're going to survive this. Yeah. And. Um, well, fortunately, the Iraqis aren't a very good shot. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I, 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 I think that maybe, I, you know, who knows? Was it, uh, I can't tell you this, the Air Force Warthogs yeah. uh, really love those A-10s, mm. you know, mm-hmm. because they... Uh, Pretty tough. Oh, yeah. Pretty rugged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and they had more range than we do. Yeah. They're faster than we did. Yeah. So... You know, uh, a lot of times, you know, we would just call out the position yeah. from where we were at, and then they would uh, they would come in and take care of it. So, yeah. uh, if it wasn't for them and the F one elevens, that yeah. was the you know the first stealth fighter, and um, you know the first uh, you know the first time that that plane seen combat. Yeah, and uh, I remember the first time seeing one fly. Yeah, you know, and it, you know, I when I first saw it in the daylight. Yeah. Flying, yeah. I thought, well, where there? There's where all the UFO stories come right. from. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, all makes it sense. It moved like a giant bat. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> yeah, it so, moved in ways you didn't think an airplane could. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, when did you go in? When did you get out? When were you in uh, Gulf? So, um, I enlisted in 1989 mm-hmm. in the fall of '89, mm-hmm. and. Um, I had a little bit of a delayed entry, yeah. so you know I had a couple of weeks to before I before I went to boot camp. Yeah, um, I was seventeen, so my mom had to sign. But considering the trouble I was getting into, that was happy to do it. Right, it was a foregone. <laughs> Where do I sign? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that yeah, I actually didn't turn eighteen until I was uh, I was actually finished with boot camp, mm. and um, you were one of the youngest guys there. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah, by yeah. a long shot. And um, <clears throat> so I, uh, um, I, I can't remember if I was in Marine Combat Training at the time. Yeah, no, no. I think I turned eighteen when I got to Engineer School. Okay. 
um because that was 30 days i took 10 days leave so you know just kind of doing the math mm-hmm. but um uh so <clears throat> funny story i finish um uh my engineer school mm-hmm. and it was december uh let's see here december december 1st or november 30th mm-hmm. i remember i didn't go home for thanksgiving yeah um and so I got assigned to uh, Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, and uh, which was just up the road from Camp Lejeune, yeah. um, thirty miles away. Okay. All right. So um, I had just been assigned to Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, which is thirty miles away from Camp Lejeune. Mm-hmm. So I packed up my stuff and headed to uh, the base. Uh, checked in. They gave me a room, mm-hmm. and literally told me, "Don't even bother to unpack." Yeah. And, uh, you know, we'd heard some rumblings, but, yeah. you know, you just, you never know until it's Desert Storm time. hadn't officially started. Desert Shield. Or Desert Shield. Uh, hadn't officially okay. started either. You know, I don't remember exactly okay. if there were already troops on the ground or not. But, okay. um, so at any rate, um, about a week later. Yeah. You know what? Boarded a plane at Cherry Point. We went up to, uh, New York. I believe it's JFK Airport. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? In mm-hmm. New York. Yep. Uh, they actually locked down the airport because mm-hmm. we're all carrying yeah. loaded weapons. Yeah. You know, M16s. Yeah. Um, we boarded a Pan Am flight and we flew from uh, JFK over to, uh, let's see, I got to get this right. I don't remember if it was Madrid or Rome, but anyway, one of them. Yeah. Um, must have been refueling or something like that. We spent a day there. They let us roam around, which was kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, it was, see, it was Madrid on the way there and Rome on the way back or vice versa. I don't remember yeah. now. But uh, anyway, um, and then we took off the next day in the dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we landed that 747 in the dark. Yeah. And I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't see any lights outside the window. Yeah. I don't see anything Where? that you would expect from an airport. Where am I? Yeah. Right. Yeah. We get off the plane, and, uh, you know, when we get off the plane, it's one of those trucks that drives up, you know, with a staircase on it. Yeah. And I realize we literally landed that, and I say we, whoever the pilot was, landed that 747 on the desert. Yeah. What they had been doing is putting down tar or oil or whatever and compacting the sand. Yeah. And made a runway to land a 747. Wow. Wish I had a camera. Yeah. That's to see insane. a 747 parked in the middle of a desert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how it was done. Yeah. You know? And we were there so early. We're engineers. Yeah. We were there so early that's, you know, that's nothing was built because we weren't there yet. Yeah. So we built a base at uh, Al Jabbar. Yeah. And then we moved forward or moved north. And when was that? When? Yeah. Uh, well, immediately upon getting there, I, I don't, I don't think it took us more than maybe 10 days or something. So, but when did you get there? <clears throat> uh, Early December 90? 10th. Oh, so, so late 89. No, 90. 90. 90. Okay. Yeah. December 10th, 1990. Okay. Um, and then I think we were there two weeks. Yeah. Because then we moved up to Tenaji and in Tenaji, I remember it was Christmas. Yeah. So we set up. Uh, we set up a big mess hall, and Tennessee had a port. No, no, that was Al Jabber. Trying to remember. Anyway, yeah, we were there for two weeks, and then we went up to uh, where we set up the runway there, outside side of Kafji. Yeah, and we could see Kafji at night. Yeah, so we we were looking at them, looking at us. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. so uh, to borrow a, a saying from Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, you know? yeah, but um. So, uh, anyway, and then, yeah, and then the air, the air war kicked off sometime in January. I don't remember when it was, what day it was now. Yeah. You know, you know, I don't, I've never been very good with dates. Yeah. And even sometimes locations, you know, I was, I was one of those Marines that I was just doing my job. Yeah. It really didn't matter where I was. Yeah. You know, um, didn't matter what day it was. Yeah. You know, uh, the one thing I am thankful for is, you know, like I said, the Iraqis were a terrible shot. Yeah. Their artillery couldn't hit us. Yeah. Those Scud missiles were worthless. Yeah. You know, um, I remember seeing them flying over. Yeah. 
you know? <laughs> and of course, when they're growing over your head, you're thinking, well, oh gosh, that could be, but those Patriot missile batteries yeah. intercepted them every time. Yeah. But then at that point, you're just worrying about them falling on your head. Right. <laughs> you know? Still does the trick, right? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Um, so how long were we over there? So a lot of people don't realize that we had uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, right. and then it was followed up with Provide Comfort. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I knew that we had People troops. think of Desert Storm and Desert Shield as very, which they were, but very short. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we were in and out, but we weren't really out. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, I get the jokes from my fellow vets, especially Vietnam vets, yeah. that say the 100-hour hundred war, right? Right, right. Well, it's true... If you were on the ground. Yeah. You know, the ground war, you know, the tanks rolling in and all that. Yeah, 100 hours, yeah. you know, somewhere around there. But if you were air, like me, it was much longer. Yeah. You know, because we were softening them up, so to speak, for a long, long time. Yeah. Before that ground war. And when I say a long time, you know, it was, well, I mean, similar to, I'd say, Normandy. You know, yeah. they were shelling those guys for a couple of days before the troops. Yeah. You know, came in, um, but we were, because we were flying sorties for, must have been a month. Yeah. It seems like a month. Yeah. Yeah. And um, anyway. Um, so provide comfort. What was that about? Cleaning up the mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I say cleaning up the mess, uh, you know, a lot of those troops uh, uh, defected. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of those Iraqis tried to just blend into the community. Yeah. Um, so some of that is, you know, finding them. And, and uh, you know, we had a lot of POWs. Mm. So, uh, you know, processing them and, you know, whatever the higher chain of command did with them. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't really know what became of them after, after we turned them over. You yeah. Know? I'm assuming they just got sent back to Iraq at some point. Yeah. But they were definitely trying to blend in, and, you know, some of them were, you know, even still up to no good. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of, you know, that's what Provide Comfort was, and, you know, um, helping clean up the mess. Yeah. Because the thing about the uh, <clears throat> the Republican Guard, mm -hmm. they just destroyed everything. Yeah. Indiscriminately. Yeah. Uh, for no reason. Yeah. You know? Um I, I never could figure it out. I mean, they destroyed perfectly good resources that I think they could have used. Yeah. You know, um, fire trucks, you know. I mean, the fire uh, the fire trucks at Kuwait International Airport were brand new fire trucks, but yeah. they had, they, they, they burned them and blew them up and shot them. I, I, I don't understand yeah. the point. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of that. Yeah. Um, the, the control tower at the airport, you know, cause obviously being air wing and air crew, mm -hmm. um, that was our primary focus yeah. is getting that runway operational. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just the damage mm -hmm. that was done to it. Um, just from inside. Yeah. You know, I hate to say it, but it, it looks a lot like, you know, some of the stuff I've seen metal thieves do, yeah. you know, where they just gut the place and yeah. tear stuff up. Just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, and then, um, you know, there was, uh, there was what, what's known as the highway of death, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, that, that was quite a mess to clean up. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Um, you know, I mean, you're talking hundreds of burned out vehicles and yeah. thousands of casualties. Yeah. Um, not on our side, you yeah. know, on theirs. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and you would run into all kinds of things. You know, sometimes you would be out on a patrol in the desert. Because even though we're error, you know, we still go on patrols. I mean, we're, we're all, you know, every Marine is a rifleman. Yeah. That's how it is. I yeah. mean, I carried an M16 with me all the time. Right. At minimum. Yeah. Um. Even when I was behind a fifty cal, I still had my M sixteen, you know, you know, locked into its cradle next to me. Yeah. Um, you know, I suppose that, you know, if 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 you need to turn to it, you need to turn to it. So we would still do patrols. Um especially in the very early stages because we didn't have 
uh, any grunts, you know, that were assigned to our location yet. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, so you'd be out walking around the desert and, you know, and I, I say walking around the desert, I mean, cities out there, it's literally like it's a city and then the city just ends and yeah. it's a desert. Yeah. You know, I used to get a kick out of... Not a lot of suburbs. No. <laughs> and there's places... There were places where you'd have four-lane highways that literally, literally just ended. Yeah. And it's desert. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, someday we'll go further than this, but this is as far as we're going right now. Right. Um, and you would find a piece of corrugated tin. And we learned this real quick, just laying out there. And you learn to approach it with care. Yeah. Because it may just be a piece of tin laying there. Yeah. But it may be covering a foxhole. Yeah. You know, and that's what you had to watch for. Yeah. And in some cases it was, you know, and in most cases, um, the foxhole was empty. Yeah. In a few cases, uh, it, you know, it may have housed, um, you know, a, a deceased combatant. Yeah. And, uh, I don't remember ever running across any that were still hostile uh, most of the time they were hiding and they were hungry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And they just wanted food and they didn't want to go back to Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so how long total were you over there before you came back home? Um, so I ended up doing three tours and I was there 17 months. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I keep asking you about dates. I know you think <laughs> you're not good with dates. Right. Um, uh, yeah. I remember coming back in June of uh let's see 92 okay yeah and then um what did you do stateside i was still an engineer so our job at cherry point um mostly went loading and unloading aircraft yeah uh crane operator to uh you know when they did engine you know engine and maintenance repairs you know so uh we would run the run the cranes yeah um so pretty much you know all the heavy lifting, so to speak, and you know, yeah. not with our hands, but with our equipment. So I ran several different uh, kinds of forklifts. I had a couple of different cranes. Um, my favorite was the container handler that yeah. picked up the big twenty and forty foot containers. Yeah, just because it was a monster of a machine. Yeah, you know, and everybody likes to drive giant Tonka trucks. Yeah, you know? <laughs> so that's that's pretty much what that was. Yeah, um, that's fun. Then we had a little forklift that we called it a doom buggy with forks. Uh huh. Because it literally looked like a dune buggy. Yeah. And it was really fast. Yeah. <laughs> but it had forks on the front of it. So, it, you know, it was just for expedient movement of product, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we had another one that was funny. We called it the Benzo with a bucket. Uh-huh. And it was a Mercedes-Benz uh, Unimog. Uh-huh. But it was converted for our use, and it had a bucket on the front of it, and it had a backhoe that folded up on the back of it. A bucket like a tractor? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, on the front of it. Wow. Little four-wheel drive unimog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those were cool. Yeah. Those were really cool. I, I enjoyed those very much. They seemed really top-heavy and tipsy and like the thing was going to tip over at any minute, but they yeah. never did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Not when you were driving them anyway, right? Uh, well, yeah. I'm sure somebody might have, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I tried to avoid that. I really, you know, didn't yeah. want to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so when did you get out? 93. Okay. Yeah. And uh, how'd you get out here? So, um, well, when I was getting out, um, I called my uncle who worked for Chrysler. Yeah. And he just literally said to me, if you have anywhere else to go, just go. Yeah. Don't come back to this place. Yeah. Um, You know, Detroit was in the decline long before that. Yeah. It wasn't getting any better. Yeah. So um, I had a good friend that I served with. Mm-hmm. My best friend, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, "Hey, um, we'll put you up and, over in uh, Kuwait as well." Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we'll put you up if you uh, if you want to come out. And they lived in Longview, Washington. Mm. So I said, "Yeah, sure, why not?" Yeah. So him and I loaded my truck because we were getting out within like a week of each other. Yeah. He got out first, and then he waited an extra week for me, and yeah. then loaded the truck and. Drove all the way across the country in yeah. three days. Yeah. And um, by that time, my mother had moved out here, too. Okay. So yeah. um, she was down in Corvallis. But uh, anyway, so that's how I got out here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Tyler, did you know that the Australian lyrebird can mimic any sound that it hears, even chainsaws? No, that's uh, super interesting. Did you know that a baby puffin is called a puffling? Uh, or no. that baby sea otters can't swim, so their moms wrap them up in pieces of kelp until they learn how to paddle? Wait. Do you know any trivia that isn't, like, animal-related? Not really, but here's some stuff you may not know about the Wild Hair Saloon, where Camby goes to eat and have fun. Okay. The Wild Hair is one of Camby's longest-running, locally-owned restaurants. Owners Joan and Darren Moden have been in business for 16 years. That's cool. Yeah, heck, you were just a baby back then. I, and, wait, what? And they love to give back. They've been members of the Camby Chamber for that long, and they donate over $20,000 to local sports, FFA programs, and civic organizations each year. Wow, I'm legitimately like caught off. That's cool. Yeah. They also support more than 30 jobs in the community through their award-winning staff, some of them as young as 18. Hey, that's older than you are. Uh, dude, I'm te I'm 10 months younger than you. With, with the days getting longer and the weather getting warmer, the Canby Wild Hair's expansive outdoor patio is the place to be. Furry friends, welcome. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to go check them out just off of Highway 99E next to the Space Age in Canby at 1656 Beaver Creek Road in Oregon City or on their website at thewildhairsaloon.net. You talk uh, pretty comfortably, and, and I know you do it on on purpose, um, uh, you know, for a reason uh, about PTS, PTSD and, and what you've dealt with. Um, I, I just this past week read a, st a study and a statistic, and I mean, how could they possibly know, right? But it estimated that um, something around 30% of veterans suffering from undiagnosed PTSD, I mean, how do you know, right? <laughs> right. Not diagnosed, but... Um, uh, does that sound uh, at all right to you? I mean, do you think that a lot of veterans, maybe even they don't realize um, that that's something well, that, that uh, they could use some help with? I think that's a tricky one because um, diagnosed usually, you know, to me that says that that requires, a, you know, a doctor, right? A a a, a, a mental health professional right. to say, hey, they they put their check mark, their sign on it. <clears throat> I know a lot of veterans that know they have it, yeah, that haven't been officially diagnosed, yeah. And there's a stigma that comes with it, yeah. And I think that's why. What is the stigma? Well, I I think that there's a couple of things. Um, one, and I know this from my own personal experience. You know, there's things like red flag laws and things like that. You know, guys don't want to be put in a position where they feel like they're under a microscope, yeah. where they, they're being watched. Because the truth is, that triggers you. Yeah. And so they don't want to be in that position. They don't want to be in a sense. position where they feel like some part of their freedom, hmm. their liberty, is is threatened because of something they did to protect our country. Right. You know, I mean, Makes I like sense. to say, look, you, you trained me to do this. Right. You trained me to be this. And now all of a sudden I'm a threat. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I did what you, I did what you trained me to do. I did what you taught me. Yeah. I used the skills you gave me. Yeah. You know, I did my job and now, now you consider me a threat. A bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of guys won't do anything about it. They yeah. won't say anything about it. Unfortunately, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Because if you don't get the treatment, inevitably, usually, yeah, you end up caught up in that system anyway. Self-fulfilling, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a fine line to walk. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's thirty percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, but I think the undiagnosed part is because there's a fear. Yeah. Of being diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and there shouldn't be. Yeah. There shouldn't be. But I walked around that way for 20 years. Yeah. Um, I, I, the reason I asked that question, I want to ask you more as well. Um, you know, for, for, for people who might be listening to this, um, which the majority probably are not veterans and maybe don't uh, have close relationships with, with the veteran, maybe, maybe just don't understand a lot of this stuff. Is there things that you think the general public 
um, would benefit from just just basic things that they uh, might benefit from understanding about uh, people who served, what they experienced, what they might still be carrying. I, I know every story is going to be different. We we don't want to paint with broad brushes, but just are there even a few kind of things that you would want people to know and understand? Well, you're right that every single you know uh, era yeah of veteran has a different experience yeah. Even every veteran in that era yeah. has a different experience. Different branches, different units, different... Yeah. The community you grew up in. Yeah. I mean, how you process that event, yeah. you know, that experience is going to vary. You know, it varies as many as there are people who experience it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the one thing, and I've talked to a lot of guys over the past 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have, we even have... a a small group of us that have a chat group, a text mm. group cool. that, you know what, whenever one of us has something to share, whether it be good, bad, supportive, or, or needing help, it's on there. Yeah. And somebody responds within minutes, Yeah, you know? Um, but the, the, the one thing that I see that is consistent yeah. is that, um, we see the world a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, everything in your life becomes a mission. Mm-hmm. You know, this needs to be done. Yeah. And you do it. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you feel about it, much to the chagrin of my own family. Yeah. You know, um, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it. It doesn't matter. You know, it has to be done. Yeah. You have a job to do, so you do it. Yeah. Um. And then there's what I'd say the downside of that. The downside is that everything becomes a potential threat. Yeah. You're always looking over your shoulder, you know. Um, sounds, that didn't sound right. Yeah. Uh, that didn't look right. Um, it's hard to turn that off. Yeah. You know, that... that uh, um, that uh that that intensity yeah. you know and uh you know i i actually had somebody refer to me this way and I, and originally i took it as a compliment i yeah. didn't understand it they told me that i that i intimidated them because of my high energy and intensity yeah you know <laughs> Uh, and as a Marine, you're just like, wow, thanks. Yeah. You know, I still got it. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you yeah. know, um, nailed it. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, but as a civilian, it was just like, oh, I get it. Yeah. You know, I get it. That's a bad thing. I can't help that. Yeah. That's who I am. Yeah. Um, but you know, you, you, you walk into a lot of us for, yeah. and, and for some of us, it goes away. Some of it, it doesn't, yeah. you know, um, for a long time, I would walk into a room and you immediately, you know, where are the exits, yeah. um, where are the threats? Yeah. You scan the room looking for anyone who, you know, potentially, you know, fits a, fits a, 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 a persona or an image in your mind that you see as, as a, as a possible threat. Yeah. Um, friendships, when yeah. you meet people, you know, you know, people, people talk to you because they want to get to know you. They want to know things about you, but that becomes, why are you asking? Yeah. You know what, you know, are you interrogating me? Yeah. Um, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. And, uh, it makes relationships really hard. Yeah. And for myself, um, I found that I had to develop a persona, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is, you know, this is, this is the me that people can digest, mm-hmm. but that really wasn't me. Yeah. You know, um, the, you know, that was my personality Yeah, and it's who I wanted to be yeah. in, in many cases, but it wasn't who I was on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So what helped you? Well, um, like you had mentioned earlier, I I have no problem being very forthright and very open because I hope that my experience will help others. And um, 
you know, after 18 years with my wife, um, I had had what we call events. Mm-hmm. And I had an event that, you know, wasn't particularly, uh, I, I wasn't a, a very abusive person, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, I just was, was and, and I mean, the the definition of abuse is huge. Yeah. I just wasn't very kind would be a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very critical and and tended to just, you know, be irritated a lot, you know. Um, but it came to the point where she had had enough and uh, I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I didn't understand what went wrong. Yeah. And um, I think the shock to my system um, finally enabled, like the light bulb went on. And... Um, when the ball went on, for some reason, I was just able to relive that event that had that had inspired that reaction. And uh, when I did, I was ashamed of who I was. Hmm. Who, and, but I wasn't aware of who I was. Yeah. <clears throat> and so uh, I just I just did a deep dive, mm-hmm. and I started reading everything I could and listening to everything I could. Yeah. Talking to everyone I could, and. Um, one of my fellow vets uh, recommended a book called The Body Keeps the Score. Mm-hmm. And I highly recommend that book to anyone who has experienced any kind of trauma. Yeah. Because it does cover all of it. Yeah. Um, but specifically in there, it had mentioned a a, uh, a study done on veterans. Uh, it had specifically mentioned the Marine Corps and how the Marine Corps uh, intentionally retrains the brains of of marines yeah um which is true yeah you know um there's a reason that you know we you know we're all the same <laughs> you know yeah. in many ways um and um in that it mentioned um uh neurofeedback and uh so i started reading about that and it uh, out of 14 veterans that they had done the the procedure on uh, 13 of the 14 um, were what they referred to as cured, which I now realize, uh, you know, it's cured is not like getting over the flu. Yeah. You know, cured means that you have learned to live with it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, like, like one of my therapy sessions I learned, you learn to... Uh, dance with the devil and mm-hmm. lead, mm-hmm. and that's what it comes down to. You learn to lead, yeah. Um, and um, so after many many sessions mm-hmm. of neurofeedback, um, it was life changing. Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit of medication, of yeah. course, um, because there obviously is a is a you know physical uh, connection yeah. to PTSD. Um, but, uh, and and then of course, you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll have a therapist and a support group the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, that's just how it is. But I, I learned to, to, uh, to live with it. Yeah. It's awesome. And not let it control me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I wish I can explain. It was like. You know, it was like the sky was always gray and one day it was blue. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, and yeah. I'd never seen it blue before. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. The last thing I want to ask you about, Martin, is uh, now that you are uh, leaving the VA, no, <laughs> the VFW, um, but uh, stepping down from uh, doing the, the more heavy load of leadership that you have been doing. Um, there was a reason for that, uh, mm-hmm. and you're you're on to a, a next big adventure, which is really exciting. So tell us about that. Well, um, so I had an opportunity um, to purchase a business uh, a little over a year ago. Yeah, um, I've always been a big fan of of Mopar muscle cars. You yeah, know, growing up in a Mopar family in Detroit, yeah. Michigan, and everybody right. worked there. Um, it's just it was just part of my DNA. Yeah, and um, so. Uh, I actually uh, purchased the estate of uh, one of my one of my uh, friends that uh, was into those cars and yeah. and 
you know, purchased uh, some of his business and um, <clears throat> just started building on it. Yeah. And um, it took off. Hmm. And, and I think the reason it took off is I am now, because I got my PTSD under control, I am now able to interact with people on a level I never could have before. Yeah. And I found myself recognizing there was a point where I would have withdrawn or retreated. Yeah. Because I was getting um, too much attention or too many people or people were getting too close to me. Yeah. And I was able to breach that barrier. Yeah. Which was exciting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so the business has continued to grow. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just getting bigger and bigger by the day. And I'm, I'm enjoying it because, you know, they say if you, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Right. And it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I come in, I'm sore and, you know, my, my knees hurt and whatever else. But you know what? Yeah. I had an awesome day. Yeah. You know, um, my family helps me out. Uh, my family and I experience a life that we, we never knew before. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and then I decided, because I turned 50 years old, I uh, I used to race cars a long yeah. time ago. And, yeah. Um, my wife asked me to, to, to give it up for a little bit because we had little cars, or little cars, little kids. Yeah, little cars. Uh, anyway. Yeah. We had little kids, and, and yeah. you know, I mean, naturally, she'd yeah. be concerned. Yeah. You know, you're out there racing a car, you yeah. know. Um, so I did that for a long time. But now, uh, you know, our youngest is a teenager, and yeah. all the rest have, you know, flown the coop. Yeah. So I decided I'm going to build a new race car, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to go all out. Yeah. So that's what I've done. Yeah. And so we're building a, a newer Dodge Challenger. Um, we're hoping to be competitive in the... Uh, Street Outlaws, uh, No Prep Kings series. Yeah. Um, and then because it's close to my heart, um, we'll be traveling yeah. throughout the country. So um, I reached out to the Veterans PTSD Project. Yeah. And um, I offered to uh, to campaign for that for that uh, charity. Yeah. And uh, so we're going to be supporting the charity by putting it on the car. Yeah. Um, and all free of charge to them. Yeah. Awesome. You know, because I, I, I really want to get the word out. Yeah. And uh, I plan to use this as a platform mm. to, you know, see, you know, who I can help. Yeah. You know, who I can share my story with and, and hopefully it will help someone, you know, I, 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 I don't see myself as an inspiration or anything. I, yeah. You know, Coming from where I come from and what I've gone through, yeah, I don't. When somebody calls me an inspiration or whatever, I, I you know, I, whatever, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess maybe I, you know, and and I don't care if you were there for one day, one week, one month, one year, or whatever. Yeah, you know, PTSD is, takes on different forms for different people. Yeah, one event in a single day can change your life. Being immersed in it for months on end or years on end will change it too. Yeah. You know, I think the number one takeaway for society or civilians, if you want to call it, when you go up to somebody and say, thank you for your service, mm. really understand what you're saying. Mm. Yeah. It's not a hashtag. Yeah. It's not something you can put on your Instagram and say, this is what I did today. Yeah. You know, or a picture. It's not a photo op. Yeah. You know, it's it's different for each one of us. Yeah. Um, everybody wrote the check. Yeah. Those of us in the VFW, well, Uncle Sam cashed it. Yeah. Not everybody's gets cashed, and that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, some people just operated in a high stress environment, whether it was in combat or not. Yeah. Um. But really, take the under to time to understand that veterans don't see the world the same way you do. Yeah. And so when you say thank you for your service, understand that. Yeah. Understand what you're thanking them for. Yeah. That their entire life will never be the same as yours. Yeah. And they won't see the world the same as you. Yeah. And and that's okay. Yeah. Because it was necessary. Yeah. That's a great message. Thank you for saying that. Well, I I've always tried to Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I realize it makes me vulnerable. Yeah. You know, to be yeah, 
Absolutely. A mascot, a figurehead, a hood ornament, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like mascot. No. <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. And I mean, the first guy through the door usually gets shot. But yeah. hey, you know, I mean. <laughs> Hopefully it's Iraq. Um <laughs> Hey, I'm AJ. I'm your uh, local Oddmos franchise owner. I'm Mike, co-founder of Oddmos. And we're the hosts of The Odd Pod, a podcast about life in the pizza industry. We're going to have on some franchisees. We're going to have some different vendors on. We're going to get a snapshot of what goes on behind the scenes in the, the pizza world. Don't forget to tell them about the sports. They're sports. And the crazy wacky pizza that we have every Wednesday that we create. And we also have a special guest every week as well. And I'm Gage, Odd Pod senior sports analyst. Gage, who gave you that title? Me. Oh boy. Find us on Spotify and Apple Music and the Podbean. Now Hear This Can Be is produced by me, Tyler Clausen. Our content director and star reporter is Tyler Frankie. And of course, our show is edited by Cameron Clausen. We also feature the vocal talents of Joy Struby and James Walden. So a round of applause to them. The song that you're hearing right now is Can Be by singer-songwriter Olivia Harms, used with her permission. To find more work from her, you can visit her website, olivia13.com. Now Hear This Can Be is dedicated to preserving independent local journalism and redefining local news with our fun, fresh, and energetic brand of storytelling. Our sincere thanks to our local sponsors who make this show possible. Please show your appreciation by supporting the small businesses who support us. The production of Now Hear This Studios, Canby's locally owned, full-service audio, video, and media production company. Our mission is to produce the best content in the universe. And we'd love to help you do it. Find us online at nhtstudios.com. Um, I will take a motion to adjourn. I just moved it. I didn't even ask for it, though.